welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price, and today we are recording on December 1st. Um, before we want to dive in, though, I do want to tell you a little bit about something cool we've got going on at Book Riot. Um, if you are looking for the perfect gift for the book nerd in your life, then we have got it. It is called Tailored Book Recommendations, TBR for short. Um, your special someone will tell our professional book nerds, and we call them bibliologists, um, about what they love and what they don't love and what their reading goals are and what they want to read more of in their life. And then they can just sit back and our bibliologists go through and select three books just for them. So this is a great gift for the holiday season and TBR has plans for every budget. So you can gift one every three months, um, like a round of recommendations every three months, or you can gift, you know, just a one-off round of recommendations. Um, There's options for hardcovers, which you'll receive in the mail. Or if you just want to give those recommendations, which are sent via email, there's a recommendations only level perfect for you. So you can visit mytbr.co slash gift to give the gift of books. That's mytbr.co slash gift. And now, hello, Erica. How are you? Hi, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing all right. You know, yeah, just hanging in there. Nothing bad, nothing too bad, nothing, you know, extra. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right. (laughs) I feel like I'm, I like not to get too TMI, I'm on day four of battling a stomach bug. So I'm just like, persevere. Um, Yeah, apparently it's going around. So (laughs) it has been. I've had, it's, it's funny, like, when I hear about stomach bugs going around, it's always like people in different, totally different like areas of the U.S. even have them. So, yeah, so Oof, it's the worst. It is. Worst. I yeah would much rather have a cold than yes. a stomach bug, oh unfortunately. But it's all right. We are we're persevering. So. But you're over here recording. I would we're be here. like, oh, I can't go on, go on without me. But here you are. Like, nah, I'm good. It's because I love books so much. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, I'm also excited about our topic today because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into it in a second. But like, this is something it's just kind of fun to do and it's kind of like a relaxing sort of easy sort of topic to just kind of toss out so I'm excited about that I was so glad like actually assembling the list I was like oh this is such a good idea I believe it was your idea and I was like reliving because I chose some well we'll get into it but it was it's a good topic let me say Yeah. I love it. So we will get into it. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about our news article of the day, which um, I pulled the link from Publishers Weekly. But there is a brand new bookstore in L.A. called Annabelle's Book Club. And what's fun about this bookstore, which is called Book Club, um, is that it is basically like this YA-focused bookstore. And it was opened by a 16-year-old, Annabelle Chang. So the bookstore looks adorable. The Mm -hmm. facade is painted hot pink. She mostly carries YA books. Um, She kind of started as like a pop-up and has since expanded from there. Annabelle Chang is also the daughter of Amanda Brown, who wrote Legally Blonde, Amazing. which is just another fun fact that I had to throw out there. Um, it looks like she has some really cool merch, too. Mm-hmm. So, yay, Annabelle. The merch is fantastic. I love the hot pink facade. My only complaint is that it's not on the East Coast. How dare. I know. How dare you don't open two bookstores simultaneously on opposing ends of the U.S. (laughs) So I can have access. It's super cute. Yeah, you have to go to L.A. to see it. Um, It's in Studio City. It looks like, I don't know, L.A. geography. So if anybody does, I assume that means something to you. But yeah, it looks super cute. And we love supporting, you know, women-run bookstores, Mm -hmm. especially ones that look as cute as this one. And side note, but the article you linked um, mentions that she had an interview with a certain someone, a certain yes. Miss Tears and Miss Price. Okay. Yeah. She's, um, <laughs> her, she, I think, 
I think it was on her Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And I'm like stretching back because it was, I feels like a, a year and a half, probably at least that this happened. But yeah, she, I mean, I just think it's really cool. And I love seeing cool. like the passion for YA and young, young readers and yeah. like how they take that and, and like find their own sort of passion in life. Um, when I was 16, I was a book blogger and I was like, this is like, I just love YA so much. I all I want to do is read <laughs> YA and, and work with YA. And, yes. and now I do, which is really cool. That's so it's kind nice. of neat to see like the next generation do that as well. I love it. Yes. <sighs> That's so cool. Yeah. And it looks like there's like a little reading nook in there. It looks so I cute. So there's cute. there's a ladder. I mean, come on. I mean, per- perfection incarnate. Yes, I would love to do an event there yes. if I'm ever in LA. Looks cute. Yes. All right. So before we get into our topic of the day, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Okie doke. So... Today's theme of the day is Backless Bonanza, which I just came up with because it sounded fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. I love alliteration. Yes. And really, like, the idea was to come up with something that, you know, highlighted some of the backless books that are so awesome and amazing because we spend a lot of time talking about brand new books and hyping up recent releases. Um, so I just you know, thought it'd be fun to throw it back by chatting up books that have been out for more than a year that still deserve some love and hype. And yeah, there's a lot of really great books. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, you know, I read a book and I read it like not necessarily in the year that it came out mm-hmm. and then you know, I just read it for fun. So I'm not always reading it for like a certain theme or for the podcast. So it's also nice to just pick some books that I, I mean, I can't guarantee that nobody on this podcast has ever talked about them because this podcast has been running for a while and yeah. it's had previous co-hosts that are no longer with us. But I tried to pick books that I thought haven't, we have, at least we haven't talked about recently. Yeah. No, yeah. It was such a good idea. And Um, As I was about to explain earlier, I decided to look in my Goodreads and go like way, way back to when I was like young adult age, like the, you know, target audience age and even like a little before. And I was like reliving reading these books. So that was just like a nice trip down memory lane. Oh, fun. 
Yeah, I also did a little bit of paging through my my reading log spreadsheets, mm-hmm. and I didn't go like way back, but I mean, I could have. That might be like another time that we like go, like jump in the way back machine and be yes. like, "What did we actually love when we were teenagers?" That'd yes. be fun. But yeah, these are these are really good, really good books, and I think you had a really interesting question. For the both of us, mm-hmm. which is, we should discuss how our reading has changed over the years. Yes. How about you? I noticed in looking at my older Goodreads entries or whatever, back when I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, some of these books are from that time. And I noticed that a lot of things have carried over from then. I read a lot of like fantasy. I think that. I read longer um, fantasy books, like more in like more like, I guess what you would call like epic fantasy, I feel. Mm-hmm. Now I'm into more like, I read more ma- like magic realism and more like fantasy standalones or just duologies. I was like into, you know, series and stuff. Also, I noticed, I think I read a little more historical fiction back in the day. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things I like. And I also feel like I, for young adult, I feel like my reading was not very diverse. Mm -hmm. And that is possibly because I wasn't paying attention. Like I didn't know who the authors were. Like I didn't know anything about them really. I was more so how I would pick books was like the cover attracted me and then like the blurb on the back. Mm -hmm. And also I feel like, so that's part of it. I wasn't thinking about reading diversely. And also when I was like, you know, 13, also, you know, publishing is not, it still has issues with diversity. So the issues with diversity were even more pronounced back then, I imagine. Yeah. But I read very diversely now. So yeah, those are some things I noticed about like looking into the Wayback Machine for my Goodreads. Mm -hmm. What did you, what have you noticed, if anything? Well, I definitely agree that I read way more diversely than I used to, Mm. and that is partly just, like, awareness, and partly because I, I, like, I track my reading a little bit better, and I, because I track my reading better, I read more intentionally. Um, When I was a teen and up until, like, my, like, my early 20s, I read almost exclusively YA, Mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing, but I did slowly start to to branch out and and I read way more genre fiction, I think, than I I did back when I was a teenager. Like, I still read a lot of fantasy, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't as much really great YA fantasy out there. Um, as there is now, and I really liked contemporary books, so I read a lot of those, but I read more mysteries now, I read more adult fiction, um, so it's it's more of a balance for sure, mm-hmm. but yeah, I still I still like reading all sorts of things, and, and you've got like one of my, oh, I think I read more historical fiction too, which yeah. I love historical fiction, I should make a point to read more of it, but um, you have one of my favorite historical fiction titles. <gasps> on your list that I want to that you want to talk about so I'm excited oh yes I think yeah I was about to be like I know which one it is I'm like it's the only one (laughs) yeah it has to be that one yes I read that one a minute ago Ooh, yeah no it's been a very long time for me too so I I'm actually like oh I should reread that yeah it was a good one um yeah so yeah it's interesting to look back um and see the differences yeah for sure good topic and I was like ooh. I was like I said I was reliving like when I read these books. Yeah. Yes. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. So okay, do you want to kick us off then? Yes, I will start off with the one I believe you're referencing. Yeah. It's A Northern Light by Jennifer Donnelly. And again, I read this a while ago. Literally I was like 12, I think. <laughs> 12 or 13 when I read this. And what I don't know what it was about the book cover that attracted. Well, it just looked pensive. I was into like, oh, she looks like she's like deep in thought. Yes. <laughs> and the book blurb was right up my alley because I, like I said, I really liked historical fiction back then. I still do now, but as you said, and I said earlier, I don't read as much of it now. But basically, this is about a 16 year old girl. Her name is Maddie Goki, and she is like in a small town, I believe. And she has, she needs money. 
And she takes a job at a hotel and there's a guest there that asks her to burn these letters and which is an interesting request. But then that guest ends up drowned in the lake and Maddie realizes that the letters could reveal some things about what happened to this lady. So it's set in 1906 and Apparently, it, the murder that this book is referring to was one that inspired an American tragedy, which I've never read, the, by Theodore Dreiser. Yeah. Um, so I'm not familiar with that. But this was inspired by real events. And so she, it's like, I just remember this being like very well written. I saw someone mention this was like kind of like young adult literary fiction Mm-hmm. And I just remember it being like so well written and you follow Maddie as she's like, you know, coming into her own, realizing things for herself, realizing things about the world. It talks about issues of racism, of sexism and stuff like that. And also, obviously, there's the mystery of what happened to this lady, the hotel guest, um, Grace, Miss Grace. So uh, also it talks about, you know, poverty and struggling to try to make it out of a situation where you're financially struggling. So I just really love this book. I think it's really good if you like historical fiction. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I don't read too many of the historical fiction novels that I come across. I feel like I don't get too many that are like right at this time period, like 1906. Yeah. It was definitely one of the earlier ones that kind of focused on this era. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of anything else that that w- was like it. And I read this book in high school, and I just remember loving it so much and like telling my English teacher, "You have to read this book." <laughs> and um, and I really enjoyed Jennifer Donnelly's. Like, mm. I think she's it's it's funny because like I talked to the teens in my library, and they know her more for her like fairy tale retellings now that are. They're technically YA, but I feel like they skew middle grade. And okay. I've I've never gotten into those, but I really, really, really love her historical fiction. So she wrote a book called Revolution. She's written some adult historical fiction. Um, she's written another um, YA um, mystery called These Shallow Graves that's also historical and set in this time period. So I just think she's great. Yeah, These Shallow Graves, I'm looking at my Goodreads right now. These Shallow Graves has been on my to-read list for a minute. Um, Also, uh, no, I think this is actually adult. I was going to say The Tea Rose. Yeah, that's her adult. That's the first book in her adult series. And it's so good, but it is adult. So, yeah, she's so great. (laughs) She's great. So definitely pick that up if you're into historical fiction. Yay. All right, my first pick is... Trouble is a Friend of Mine by Stephanie Tromley. And this book is wonderful. It is one of the few books, I think, that, like, if you are looking for a comp to, like, Veronica Mars, actually really meets that. Um, So it's about Zoe. She's just moved to a new town. I believe it's been after the, the divorce of her parents. And she's not really happy about living in this new town. And she's thinking that she would like to move back with her dad because then she could go to a better school that would get her into a better college, et cetera, et cetera. She really just wants to fit in and be normal. But of course, like not very long after she moves in, this guy named Philip Digby, who goes by Digby, shows up on her doorstep. And he just like keeps ringing her doorbell. And she's like, what? And he's like, I need you to help me solve my little sister's kidnapping. And she's like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, my little sister, she was kidnapped years ago. We've never been able to find her. Like, you're, you're going to help me. Because, you know, there's been this other kidnapping of this teenage girl, and he thinks the cases are connected. And she's like, um, pass. And he's like, no, you're helping me. I will be so annoying until you help me. And <laughs> it is kind of hilarious because she, of course, can't say no to him. And even more so, she realizes that Digby really gets her and that they, as much as she would like to just fit in in her new school, she is a misfit and so is he. And they've got some mysteries to solve. So I really enjoyed this book. And there are two sequels. 
that are equally great. This, like, if you want just like a trilogy of delightful, funny, oddball YA mysteries with like this really compelling relationship at the center, highly recommend Trouble is a Friend of Mine by Stephanie Tromley. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's good. And it's, I mean, they're still in print and everything. They came mm-hmm. out probably like five or six years ago, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like they don't get nearly enough love. No, that sounds really good. And I'm like, I feel like I haven't heard much about it. But I think too, and you can correct me or like point out the <laughs> the uh, flaws in this logic, but I feel like YA has been like talked about more the past couple years. Mm-hmm. Like a lot more than before, but it, I mean, it was always popular, of course, but some, so sometimes, and people focus on new releases. So I feel like sometimes if it's like past a certain time, people don't um, mention it as much. Yeah. Yeah. So these are great. (laughs) Yes. That is going on the TBR. The next one I have is Spindles In by Robin McKinley. (sighs) Robin. Yes. Yes. Robin. And I feel like... I when I was looking at Goodreads and I was looking at some other books that I added. Well, actually, one other book that I added to this list for today. I saw this book and I was like, "Wait, I read that!" And I I hadn't put it on my um, list of books that I had read. And I was like, "No, I remember reading that when I was like again like thirteen or fourteen. It is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty, and I remember it's very. So basically, Rosie is our protagonist, and she gets cursed, of course. We know the story of Sleeping Beauty. Um, She gets cursed, and she's taken away to to be kept away, basically kept safe from the evil fairy Pernicia. Pernicia? I realize I don't know how to say that name. (laughs) It's quite a name. Yeah, as I'm looking at it, you know, like when you, you know, when you read a name or read a word versus saying it out loud. I'm like, wait, I actually remember. I realize I don't know fully how to pronounce that, but pernicia, pernicia, let's say. So we know the story of Sleeping Beauty. She's fated to prick her finger on a spindle and then fall into a long slumber. So I believe the kingdom like hides, uh, makes um, spindles illegal or something like that. But of course, she she ends up doing it. It's fate. That's not really a spoiler. I loved how like the animals take a front seat in this. I've always loved animals, so they play a, a big role here, and it's cute. And it's it has a lot of like it's like a s- slower burn. I feel mm-hmm. it has a slower buildup, but it was I loved the you know the magical world. I again, that's what I was saying. Like before, I read like more. It's historical fantasy a thing like you know like the medieval fantasy like court fantasy like there are princesses and fairies and wizards and stuff like that I read more of that when I was like more you know target YA age and so I just remember really enjoying this one so again it is a slower burn but I remember enjoying the journey and uh the fam- familiarity you have with Sleeping Beauty is you know comforting too so i liked it i liked robin's take on the fairy tale and so i think i think y'all will enjoy it too that is spindles end by robin mckinley yes i love robin mckinley's (laughs) books and i feel like she always i just heard i read somewhere that i think she's writing again she's writing a new book which it's been a while Mm -hmm. but i sunshine is like one of my favorites by her and shadows and i feel like a lot of my favorite books by her i always want a sequel for but she very famously is always like "Eh, i don't really do sequels unless i feel like it (laughs) and i rarely feel like it (laughs) so respect uh, respect but also yeah yeah. yeah oh and this one came out in 2000 so i'm like this taking it way back yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that probably like in middle school or high school. Yeah. So, so great. All right. My next pick is um, the first book in the Mirror Visitor Quartet, which is high fantasy and a very intriguing high fantasy in um, translation. Mm. Um, it is called A Winter's Promise. And it's published by Europa, which does not... 
like Europa very famously does translated works and they bring them to English. But this book is like, I think the first and only first and or only YA um, series and book that they have done. And so it is about Ophelia and she lives in this world where basically her, you know, family is everything because, you know, your family is your clan your family is like your protection and she has this ability to travel through mirrors which um is you know something that her family can do um but then she also has a special skill of like if she touches an object she can sort of intuit its entire history and that is unusual for her so she thinks that she's just gonna spend the rest of her days in her family's museum and just you know logging materials she's perfect for this because she can just touch something and know its history but then one day very suddenly and abruptly and in a way that nobody will kind of explain to her she's um, informed that her her marriage has been arranged to this man named Thorn, and he is from a very distant clan in a completely different like part of this world. And basically, her family is like, "Yep, yeah, you're getting married to him. Don't ask us why. Ugh. We're sending you. It's happening. It's a done deal. Your aunt will go with you, but then once you're married, you're on your own, basically. And she's just like, what the heck is going on? So she is whisked away to, um, I'm going to say, I don't know how to pronounce this capital either, Cita Celeste, um, which is the capital of Thorn's um, world, which is very icy and cold. And, and it's very dangerous because she realizes quickly that her marriage has political implications and ramifications that she doesn't fully understand because she doesn't fully understand this political world. And her new in-laws like want to kill her and she gets to know her new husband and they're very kind of standoffish and distant at first. And what I like about this is um, I feel like it's a trope in YA of like, oh, you know, this is an arranged marriage and oh, I don't want to be in an arranged marriage, but oh, he's kind of hot. So maybe it won't be so bad. Like from the very beginning in this book, Ophelia like looks at him and she's like, yeah, I don't want this. And he's like, fair, I don't want this either. And so they're kind of starting from this point of being like, okay, we're stuck in this. How do we go from there? So there's a lot going on in this book. Mm. It's very interesting and unexpected. And it took a lot of interesting twists and turns where I'd be like, wait, what? what's happening now? And it's also a YA book or YA fantasy where it doesn't take time to kind of hold your hand and explain the whole world to you. Like there is some like exposition and explanation of some things. But for the most part, you're just kind of thrown into this world and you kind of have to just inhabit it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so but I really like that about this series in general. So that's the first book. It is A Winter's Promise, the first book in the Mirror Visitor Quartet by Christelle Davos. That sounds really good. I also like fantasy that doesn't do too much like exposition. Like, I'm just like, plot me into the world and I'll figure it out. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> My gosh, plot me into it. I love it. Yeah, I got it. I got it from there. Just show me, show me the door. But yeah, that sounds really interesting. So I will get into my next one right after we take one more break to hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. 
This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. All right, so... Next one I have is a another fantasy. Mm, surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is it is the Poppy War by R.F. Quang, and it was released in 2018, so a lot more recent than my other books that I mentioned. And you probably may have heard of it if you follow fantasy YA. Because as you were saying before, Tears of the Lake, you know, we don't always read books when they come out, but, you know, people talk about them, you know, a couple years, years after, and people are still definitely talking about this one. I think because I feel like a lot of, a lot of YA fantasy that I had read before this, the protagonist was very clearly, like, good, and there was, like, evil, and there were clear lines. This one will have you thinking. So... It's kind of like a morally gray situation All right. and how you think of the main character's actions are interesting. It's just like, you know, it's a good, it's a good conversation starter. I think this would be a good book club pick because of that. It is an epic historical military fantasy. It's about Rin, this young, darker skinned Asian girl who grows up in an Asian inspired fantasy world. And she aces this test. It's a an empire-wide test that is used to determine who gets to go to this like really good military school. And she surprises everyone because she does super well on it. And people are like, um, okay, so how did this war orphan, she's she's dark-skinned, she's a girl, she's poor. How did she pass this test without cheating? And her guardians, like her parents, they're like super terrible to her. I laugh like to keep from crying. Not, it's, I don't find it actually funny, but like they're really terrible to her. And that's why she put so much effort into passing this test because it was a way out for her. And they were just planning to like marry her off for their own benefit. So she goes to this academy and she's, people don't like her because you know, they think they're better than her because of the, the reasons I mentioned before, colorism, her gender, her, um, you know, poverty status, I guess, in the school, everyone else is more privileged. But she discovers that she has a talent that other people don't have, which is not much of a shock because, again, she's a protagonist in a YA fantasy um, series. This is the first book in the series. And so... The military school exists, well, I don't quite remember if it exists because of the war, but they are at war with this nation called Mugen, Federation of Mugen, and it is a place across the sea, so Mugen has been invading them, and um, their soldiers are known for being very brutal, and so this is why these students... This is what these students are training for, to defend their country against Mugen. So the school has all these, you know, different, different teachers that teach like different things. And Rin kind of, Rin is the main character. She discovers her power through the shaman teacher. So it's interesting. I like that I, I wasn't sure where this story was going when I first read it. And I hope I didn't like give too many spoilers or anything. Um, some of the stuff I mentioned, it's like obvious just if you read YA fantasy, but I I think I was surprised when I first read it. The 
unearthing of her history because you don't know where she comes from because she was an orphan. And by the end of the book, you will be like, okay, Ren, I don't know about what you're doing. (laughs) You'll be like, huh, was that the right choice? But it's really interesting. The magic system in this, it's very intriguing. It's also based on history. Like it's based on like Chinese um, and Japanese history. The, the, the world, the nations are inspired by those countries. So it also is inspired by um, Chinese mythology and stuff. So it has all those things going on for it. I have not read the other two books, but I need to. They've been on my list. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting, an interesting, like, just an interesting series. So again, that's The Poppy War by R.F. Quank. Awesome. And so my next pick is The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. And this was a book that I read. Oh, goodness. When did I read it? I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. But basically, it is about this fantasy world. And they exist in a country called Arqueta, where... People, especially girls, are not treated very well. So it's about five girls, um, Aster, Violet, Tansy, Mallow, and Clementine. And they have been sold to a welcome house as children and branded with these cursed markings. And um, the their cursed markings are basically like tattoos mm. of different flowers that are on like their, their neck and face. And um, the welcome house is essentially a brothel. So the oldest girls have been expected to, um, you know, take patrons or take clients. And the younger girls are kind of acting as servants. And on the night that um, one of the girls is meant to start taking on clients, she accidentally murders him. And so because she's murdered... Yeah, like, (laughs) you know, we're not sad about it. It's it's totally, yeah, we're like, well, that's just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So Clementine, she accidentally murders a guy and her sister, or like her blood sister, her biological sister is like, oh shit, basically. (laughs) Because, um, you know, that that's, they basically are going to have to like face the death penalty because they murdered a very important man. But rather than, um then you know stick around to face the consequences um the five girls um stage a jailbreak and they get out of the brothel and they go on the run so this is made more complicated by the fact that their um like their cursed flower tattoos um they can't be covered um but they definitely mark them as like oh you belong to a welcome house and so the the magic in those is if you cover them with like a bandana or or something um they start burning your skin <gasps> and so wow. they have to yeah so they have to keep a low profile and make sure that they aren't um seen But they've got this very obvious tattoo that shows, you know, not only identifies them as like welcome house girls, but also is like, oh, you guys are the ones that are on the run for murder. Oh, my God. Um, And but they can't cover them for very long without like literally burning their skin. So um, also a challenge is the fact that they're, you know, going across this dangerous landscape that is full of like inhuman cursed creatures that will to kill them so it's like a western but with a fantasy and i i mean i am intrigued by like westerns as a genre because i i grew up with like grandparents who loved westerns and like we watch them all the time and so but also like i recognize that the western genre is pretty terrible and that it perpetuates a lot of like racism Mm -hmm. and violence towards indigenous people and all you know just it's it's like not my favorite genre because Mm -hmm. of that but like this book takes a lot of like the elements of like like the staples of westerns but like spins it in a completely different way so i really liked it it is the good luck girls by charlotte nicole davis oh i do want to just say um because I mentioned um, sex work and, and forced sex work. Mm-hmm. There's no, no like 
sex or rape on the page Mm -hmm. um, in this book. But obviously that is like the weight that the girls are carrying. And I think that the author does a really good job of like discussing that without actually showing it. Yeah. Um, So, but just be aware if you're going into this book. Yeah. I also really like Westerns. Like I really like Westerns, but surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, they, they're, I say surprisingly, they're not very diverse uh, historically because yeah. there's so much room for them to be diverse. Like they should be inherently diverse for so right. many different reasons. It's like, okay, y'all really went out of your way. But then I'm like, okay, that's not really surprising giving the history of things. But that's why I've loved, uh, I've loved like space Westerns now because like the new ones coming out obviously are diverse and really interesting, but that's funny. I didn't know you liked Westerns. I really like Westerns too. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And this one's like super diverse and like the hardcover cover is really gorgeous. It has mm-hmm. um, a black teenage girl um, on it with like the the fiery tattoo and yeah, I would say, yes. I really I think you'd really like this book. Yeah, this one is on my list. It has been on my list for a minute, so I'm glad that you talked about it. Got to bump it yeah. up because I haven't. I don't think I've read many YA westerns. Yeah, there's not a ton. Yeah, there's not a ton, but this is a good one. Yeah, so that sounds really good. So the next one I have is a little outside of my usual. It is Uzumaki, Spiral into Horror, Volume 2 by Junji Ito. It is a manga. It was first published in 99. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe it was um, translated to English in 2002. Because I was about to, I didn't see that at first, sorry. But yes, so 2002, English translation. And I read this mm, probably when I was like 18. And it is... another difference to answer my question that we were answering earlier, um, the differences in what I read back in the day versus now. I will also say that I, I was more of a little creeper back in the day. Like I read creepier, darker things and (laughs) you said, Ooh, (laughs) I just, it's interesting. Yeah. Things I didn't know about Erica. I know. Like, Oh my gosh. Should I say, I knew about like the different like serial killers in American history. And I was like, it was like one of those things like where you see an accident and you, you're, you want to look away, but you can't type of thing. I mm-hmm. think that intrigued me about it. The, the horror of it. I still never watched horror movies because I was a weenie in that aspect, but reading about them. No, I did almost have a nightmare reading about one. I will say, <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I, will say that. Uh, I was very scared. So Uzumaki is about a sleepy town in Japan that is under siege by this this mysterious phenomenon. And Ito, Junji Ito is known very well for his body horror and his manga. And it's just very like, it's like so, it's so like icky to look at, which I think is perfect body horror i feel like that is like what you want from body horror and it's just like when you look at the drawings of the characters undergoing these transformations it's just gross and it makes you itch kind of and so there is this girl kirei who becomes So this town has a secret and she kind of like uncovers it as her schoolmates start to turn into these like human snail things, which is like, Mm -hmm. again, super gross. And there's a hospital mystery too. Like there's something horrible that happened in the hospital and it's led to kind of some of the things that are going on. So there's basically a mystery as to why people are changing into these nasty things. And the manga is divided into kind of like short stories. I feel like, so Uzumaki in Japanese means spiral. So there's a lot of, there's this, that's significant in the story. And um, it has a lot of different instances where that symbol like appears throughout So there's the body horror is interesting because I feel like it's mixed with nature. Like it's like humans kind of turning into animals 
or there, you know, some mushrooms are involved, mosquitoes and stuff like that. And I'm not super familiar with all of Japanese fantasy. You got to not grow up with it. I more so learned it when I got older. But some of these themes I've noticed um, come up in other Japanese um, art and media. So it is influenced by like some of the horror inherent to um, like Japanese lore and mythology and stuff. So that's really interesting too. But yes, the stuff is squicky, icky. So if you're into that, I think you would enjoy this. Um, but Junji, Junji Ito is pre- pretty well known for being like good for body horror and manga. So again, this is Uzumaki Spiral into Horror Volume 2 by Junji Ito. Mm, interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm like, well, that might be a little dark for me. Yeah, it's dark, bro. Yeah, I used to, I had a phase. I had a phase. This <laughs> <laughs> a phase. I love it. Um, all right. My final pick is nothing like that. It is light. <laughs> it is fun. Um, yes. It is Late to the Party by Kelly Quinlan, which um, came out in, I want to say, like 20, 2020, I think. And oh my gosh, I love this book. I love this book so, so much. It is about Cody and she is 17 and she has two best friends named Maritza and Jacori. And basically it's the summer before senior year and they do a lot of just like hanging out and watching TV and having inside jokes, but they don't really have like a wider social circle around just the three of them. Um, the one thing that all three of them share is that they're all queer. So um, Cody is, I believe, a lesbian. Maritza's bi. Jacori is gay. And somehow Maritza and Jacori decide that, like, this is the summer that they should, like, find romance. And Cody's kind of like, I mean, I would like romance, but, like, I, I don't know if we need to have, like, a go get dates kind of packed. <laughs> but Maritza that and Jacori are funny. like... <laughs> right and like i totally emphasize with cody because i totally would have been like the the person that's like yeah of course i want like a girlfriend but like maybe i don't want to actually have to leave my basement <laughs> so Are you have to leave um, your basement for that like, Trash. You have to, like you have to actually try and meet new people pass you have to, like socialize <laughs> no thanks <laughs> no so maritza and decor are super serious though they're like no no, no. we've got to meet people we've got to find um somehow to get you know romance and so they decide that they're going to crash a cool kid party and cody is like no that is not for me (laughs) and she just she tells them like i'm not comfortable crashing a party i don't want to do it and they were like they basically are like okay we're gonna go without you and so they do and she's kind of salty about it but then maritza and jacori get drunk and they need her to come get them so she shows up to the party late And when she's showing up at the party late, she's trying to find her friends. And instead, what she finds is one of those those cool kids that just is like, oh, my gosh, so impossibly cool. We could never be friends with him. His (laughs) name is Ricky. She catches him kissing another boy. And Ricky's first, like, reaction is kind of like panic. Like, you can't tell anybody. I'm not out. And and Cody's like, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody. It's fine. And this strikes up a really unlikely friendship between Uh the two of them this point of connection and so basically she starts hanging out with ricky more and more they they have like this really great friendship and then as their friendship deepens um ricky introduces cody to his friend group and that leads to like more adventures and a possible romance and you know she's really excited about all these new friends and these new experiences and and parties and it's been amazing but the only hitch is that she has not told Maritza or Jacori about any of this. <gasps> so she's like, yeah. So she's like living this double life. Oh, yeah. oh, how is she doing that? Don't they all go to the same school or no? It's summer. So. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <gasps> Scandalous. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's kind of like she sort of feels like she's cheating on her friends, but she's yeah. still being friends with them. She's just, like, not also telling them that, like, oh, by the way, I've happened to make friends with the cool kids and we do fun stuff without you guys. <laughs> and so, obviously, it's going to blow up in her face. Of so. course. I'm already – that's one of those things. I don't know if you are like me, but, like, sometimes when I would read stuff like that, I'm, I would cringe and, like, it would – I would like not want to even read the blow up because I would just know it was happening. I don't know. Like I, cr- I'm cringe averse. 
Oh no, I'm totally sense. with you. I yeah, I'd be like, oh, this is gonna explode in your face. The secondhand embarrassment yes. that I feel over like fictional happenings is real. Yeah, I'd be like, oh god, please, why are you doing this? It's gonna go so bad. Why? Yeah, like I can just tell you that you don't want to do that. No, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, and but like at the same time, I'm like really happy for Cody because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh look at you, you're finding love, you're making new friends, you're having new experiences. So, um, but what I really love about this book is it is about friendship. Like, yes, there is romance, but I think the friendship and those relationships are really what um, are central to this book. And it also kind of explores like what it is like to be queer and how important queer friendship is. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, something that. I don't think anybody, you know, who's a part of the queer community, most people, like, we all understand how essential it is to have queer friends. Yeah. And so not a ton of why, more and more YA books are sort of focusing in on that. Mm-hmm. But this is a really great example of a book that is about all the complicated dynamics of friendship. Um, and Kelly Quinlan just does like large casts of characters and friend groups really well. Mm-hmm. Um, she also does sibling relationships really well. So it's a really fantastic contemporary YA novel and it is late to the party. That's awesome. I also love to see more books on friendship, YA and adult, but of course we're focusing on YA. So I, yeah, I like romance and relationships are fine too, you know, but I would love to see more books on friendships. I think it's just something that kind of gets it thrown to the laid by the wayside rather. Yeah. And in media, like mainstream media in general. And I don't know why they're important. Like, yes, like like romance gets more way more spotlight um in terms of relationships that are talked about and stuff mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah of course but like friendships are very important at all stages of your life yes so i i, I love to see more um books that are have more that are more friendship focused so this sounds really good also thanks for um ending us on a on a bright note after my like ooh yes <laughs> horror <laughs> Excellent, excellent. That's what I'm here for. Yes. All right. So, yay, those are our picks. And I totally wish that we could keep talking, but we are out of time. So Mm -hmm. we'll have to do another backlist bonanza sometime where we just talk about older books that are awesome and that we think you should read. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can always leave us feedback on the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It lets us know how we are doing and it helps others find us. You can email us at heyya at bookriot.com too if you want suggestions. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks to the awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound good. You can follow me on Instagram. I hang out at at Tears of Price. Erica, how about you? I'm still slogging along on Twitter. <laughs> At Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Uh, yeah, technically I'm still on Twitter too. I'm just not really on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, just the way we are. Just the way it is. All right. Well, we will talk to you again in two weeks. Um, and that is going to be when we talk about our favorite picks of the year, which yes. will be great. Burr, 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 burr. Yeah. So until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.